You are listening to GradCast, the only radio show for grad students and by grad students at Western University and also the official podcast of SOGS. My name is Nick. I'm your co-host Connor Chato. And today we have a very special guest named Nicholas Goncharenko, who's going to tell us all about math, biology, and mosquitoes and how they intersect. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. And so uh, the first question we usually ask people is uh, if you can just tell us about your research. Like what, what is your, your pitch, your sort of your pitch about what, what you do here at Western? So my pitch, if I have just one second, is I'm the modeling master. The modeling master. Hey, one. you just gave us our title for the episode, maybe. <laughs> yeah, pretty good title. Yeah. Um, so I look at different types of models, but my expertise is in differential equations, both ordinary differential equations, partial differential equations, and I look at something called qualitative anal- analysis, which looks to go beyond numerics into important questions, such as stability and long-term behavior, stuff that the end user of my models, scientists, can really appreciate. Okay, so you use uh, these differential equations, and these are part of calculus, right? Calculus, dynamical systems, control theory. Yeah, and what is the special use of um, these equations? Like, what are, what is the particular use that you use them for? So I model, because I'm in mathematical biology, I model uh, species, I model processes, I model chemical reactions, so those sort of things. Uh, I like to put this under the umbrella of continuous process as opposed to discrete processes, such as uh, bioinformatics, the number of genes, the number of copies. You can only have uh, discrete numbers where I look at continuous processes. So try to unpack that for me a little bit. What, like, continuous processes? Because if I think of, like, any sort of biological model, my f- the th- first thing that comes to mind for me is, like, population, right? Where it's, yes. like, a discrete, discrete number. But it's what a, do you mean by, like, It's continuous? a discrete number in reality, but for modeling applications, right. it's usually thought of as a continuous process. I'm, I'm glad you brought up populations mm-hmm. uh, because the origin of most, if not all, mathematical biology is epidemiology, which right. is the study of infectious diseases and how they spread. Uh, So in population biology and epidemiology, we care about continuous processes uh, because while you're right, uh, you can't have half a person or half a sheep or half a bacteria. In reality, uh, these processes behave in a continuous matter. They don't start and stop. It's an evolving process. So for your particular project, do you have a particular process you're studying? What in, what's the exact thing you're looking at? Yeah, so as you mentioned before, I'm looking at this process in mosquitoes. And there's a lot of work in academia in mosquitoes moving from different places to each other. So much of, most of the uh, epidemiology research on malaria looks at mosquitoes moving from one place to another. I'm looking at what's happening inside the mosquito. So what's happening inside a mosquito? So there are many different approaches on how to get rid of malaria. I'm looking at a particular approach, which is known as 
uh, paratransgenesis. It's a complicated word. So what that is is infecting the mosquito and using the infection to get rid of the malaria. So malaria is not natural to the mosquito biology. It is a parasite to both us and the mosquito. So by infecting it with a third, uh, sorry, a second uh, disease, one that we have create, created, we can eliminate the malaria before it even reaches the person. So there's this one technique where people have um, created a bacteria that directly kills the malaria within the mosquito, and this hasn't been done before. Normally, uh, the reproductive ability of the mosquito is what's changed, but this goes directly to the malaria and kills it in the mosquito before it can reach any human po population. So I'm modeling that process. The process of the bacteria killing the malaria, the immune system of the mosquito reacting to the infection of both the malaria and the genetically modified organism. And I'm assuming that bacteria is one that's harmless to humans, right? Yes. Right. So in a way, it sort of acts like a kind of like a pseudo vaccine in the sense that it is kind of getting rid of the malaria parasite. Yes. Uh, it doesn't prevent, per se, the malaria infection. It kills them. Right. The malaria infection. So how would this bacteria be distributed? Like, how would the mosquitoes get like get it uh, so you take uh, the bacteria bacteria into the native mosquito ha habitat right and this the beauty of this particular bacteria is that it's transmitted in many different ways it can be transmitted through the air through the water uh, through mosquito breeding and it can be trans transmitted from uh, mother to offspring so most vectors of transmission do not go through all these possible different vectors. They usually choose one or the other. So when this is deployed, it will travel very fast in the mosquito popul population. So this this genetically modified bacterial infection that you can use on a mosquito seems so useful and so applicable. How long have we had access to this kind of thing? So. Last year, 2017, in October, that's when the world first knew of this particular application. So there's been a lot of work into uh, paratransgenesis for quite a while, but it's always been um, attacking the mosquito rather than the bacteria themselves. And there's a long-term problem with this approach. It kills the mosquito. and Mosquitoes, although they are very nasty, and if I were to argue to get rid of one organism on the planet, the mosquito would be top on that list. I agree. I agree. <laughs> because it has killed so many humans, and we can't uh, let the human cost uh, not affect our decision in this. It still plays an important role in the ecology. So we can specifically tackle the malaria, which is what people have a problem with. Mosquitoes carry, of course, not only mala malaria, but this is a much more targeted, sensitive approach. And your, like the mathematical models you're developing are 
I guess looking at like the interaction of the the bacteria and the malaria is that right the interactions between the bacteria and the malaria but also the immune system of the mosquito to the bacteria and malaria um, because when you look at bacteria within the stomach which this bacteria is and this malaria is before um, the malaria changes its life cycle the immune system plays a very important role if we look at human studies the immune system is an enormous fact factor in the behavior of the bacteria and the effect of bacteria on humans is through the immune system in addition to other processes so you can't do a model without taking into account the immune system and you said that this is not the only malaria being not the only disease that mosquitoes carry and and move around how usable might this model be for other diseases and processes is it is it quite diverse in what it's you can quite, use it for it's a quite similar approach uh, the problem is then in the practicalities of designing a genetically modified organism that attacks those specific diseases because these right uh, gene these genetically modified organisms have been made to secrete certain proteins and these proteins only work on malaria they don't work on these other diseases and infections but the general process is the same even though the the what's happening in the mosquito the individual uh, biological chemistry as it were right changes so your your job doesn't have to be as concerned with specifically the proteins you're looking at the the generalizable model that can yes. be can be so mathematics things. has quite a lot of power and one of that one of those powers is abstraction and taking away the fluff and some of the more complicated things and looking at the core essentials um, my math teacher in first year like to talk about cows and how mm -hmm. different people view cows so the biologist thinks of the cow as this very complicated creature while the mathematician all he sees is a big uh, sphere like object on little cylinders <laughs> that's the mathematician's cow so what what can you use this math for like uh, now that you have sort of or now that you're building like this model what do you sort of see it's like um like it, is it like to use as a practical tool or is it more to like understand how uh, this interaction would work it's both mm -hmm. it can be used practically to make hypotheses and predictions what I'm concerned more with is the larger role in understanding how these things work this is step one of a much longer goal to model these complicated processes within the stomach of not only mosquitoes but other organisms like humans the problem with that is that with a human model there are much more factors you need to take to account the immune system for example is more complicated in a human uh, because we have an adaptive immune response where the mosquito has only what's called an innate immune mm -hmm. response mm -hmm. it has the same reaction to every infect infection right. so that's just one of the factors but this is step one on a much longer road so what sort of questions do you hope to understand with this model 
So there's several things about the biology that we don't don't know that I would like to understand. Uh, but one of the complications with this model is that this is very nonlinear behavior. So there's a lot of math questions that I'm answering uh, by looking at this biological situ situation. And that's really at the core of my discipline, is letting the math and the biology talk to each other to solve each, each other's problems. So while I'm looking at this practical thing, day one is like, okay, we've got this malaria, we've got this genetically modified bacteria. How does it work? How can we model this? How can we better understand? But in the meanwhile, to answer this question, I brought in tools from topology to answer uh, some extremely complicated questions uh, mathematically. So essentially what you're saying is that you get to a point uh, in asking this more like biological question where you say, oh, the math here, we don't know what even the math is. So by asking this biological question, you are discovering new things about like math theory? Yes. Right. So what you just said, topology? Yes. So what is that concept? Yeah. So topology is this great, uh, what I like to call zoo word. Right. It's very scary. Makes, yeah. <laughs> makes a lot of people scared. Uh, I like to think of topology as a sort of geometry, geometry and of studying objects. But instead of looking at, you know, distances, you're looking at connections within the object. So I always like to bring up this metaphor of the tomato and the spaghetti. So if you imagine you take a tomato and you put little spaghetti sticks into it and then you uh, cook your little contraption. The spaghetti gets wet and the tomato gets cooked. So certain things change. Uh, you know, the spaghetti turns and twists, but certain things remain the same. And that's the sort of view topology takes is we take objects and we stretch, stretch them. We don't care about distances, we care about connections. We care about whether there's holes or not. Now, I looked at this from a very geometric point of view, but you can apply this to any sort of object you can imagine. So I've applied it to the object of differential equations, and that's where the new innovations in the math takes mm. in. It's taking one viewpoint and looking at, at it. So a strong point when I'm looking at a problem is I like to view things from different aspects. So I like to have a mathematical view. I like to have a biological view. Um, and I like to have different views within that dis within those two disciplines. You can look at two things from very two different math viewpoints, and you can look at them from many different biological viewpoints. And I like to think of myself as a bridge between these two disciplines. So sitting at that intersection between math and biology, and in my mind, I'm thinking of mathematicians and biologists how does that interaction usually go? You, you're, you're almost something of a cross-section, but when math interfaces with biology, um, is, that, is that kind of a team you have where some biologists are working with you and some pure mathematicians are working with you and, and you're just the, the bridge? Or? Well, normally I have to always talk about things in four different ways. So there's the layman, because I always want to communicate with them. Ultimately, if I can't explain an idea to someone who's completely outside my di discipl discipline, then I need to work on it. As Einstein sa says, uh, you should be able to explain 
the your own concepts well enough to everyone. Mm-hmm. Then there's uh, the mathematicians, so I have to talk to them very differently. And then there's the, the pure biologists who know nothing about math and only biology. And then there's the mathematical biologists who are totally different people. Mm-hmm. People, And those are who I talk to most regularly. But occasionally I have pure math, pure biology on the other, on two sides of the same table. And I am literally and figuratively the bridge that connects them. <laughs> Mediating between the two. Yeah, I mean, I really think about, you know, just the way that the university is often structured with, you know, here's the math building and here's the bio building. And there's definitely, like, you don't think of the connection between them. Do you think that um, you're starting to see more um, interaction between these two disciplines? Like, do you think that's sort of a growing field? or? I'm thinking that there's, there is communication, but I also think more than the two departments working together, I believe that there is a middle ground that's forming forming separately. So instead of like one bridge connecting two separate islands, it's a bridge form- forming to a middle island. Right. So that's where the applied mathematicians come in. And right. I'm an applied mathematician, so I'm on that middle island. Right. Is that something that attracted you to the idea of mathematical biology? Do you find you wanted to be at that interface or was it was it something else? Yeah, so before I did all of this, I studied uh, chemical biology. Which surprise, surprise, it is different from biological chemistry. Yeah. So <laughs> I, mind too. Uh, in my undergrad, I did a lot of chemistry, and I looked at uh, very small microbes. Why do you know models of microbes rather than uh, full animals? Is that's part of the reason I know microbes a lot, a lot better. Uh, so chemistry is the bridge science, right, between physics and biology, and now I'm in uh, serving as a different bridge. And when I was doing this chemical biology, I realized um, some of the questions I wanted to ask were a lot more fundamental. And I wanted to leverage more my powerful math understanding. And that led from one project to another into mathematical biology. And I'm quite happy being the bridge uh, that connects these disciplines together. Although I don't have as many uh, cool color changing experiments yeah that's right i have cool color changing plots that's right (laughs) those are those can be great now i have to ask and i'm sure you've been asked this question do you think you are math first or biology first if you had to choose one all right so if uh someone were to you know point a gun at me and say (laughs) math or bio kid (laughs) my heart is biology okay but my hands and my brain are math. Uh, I see. So I always think like a scientist first rather than a mathemati- mathematician, right. but I often solve problems as a mathematician. Got it. Mathematician. Um, so in my department, I'm probably the most bio, per- mm-hmm. bio person there is. Uh, but in any biology room, I'm the most math, math person there is. Got it. By far. Right. And most of my education in grad school has been in mathematics um, because those are the tools that require the most time learning. Right. So, and you're doing a master's right now, correct? Yes. 
are you planning to do a PhD or what 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 are your sort of future plans like after this? Uh, PhD long term definitely nice. in the in the future. And I wanted to get some exper- experience, so masters was the first step mm-hmm. step to that. That's very cool. Do you see yourself working like in academia or more like uh, non-academic? Uh, more industry. Industry, right? Industry. So quite currently. Um, we're obsessed with Twitter. We're obsessed with Facebook. We're obsessed with communication technologies. The next step, I feel, to our technological process as a culture is biological processes. So right now, as we speak, there's quite a lot of uh, biological innovation. And we're stepping more and more into the realm where we can automize biological pr- processes. So a lot of what I've been studying is control theory. And the next great project I do will be uh, controlling biological systems. And in the long term, I want to be able to understand how I can control these, diff- these different things. Mm-hmm. You uh, also seem really interested in communicating science. And I'm wondering where, where you want to put that interest to use in the uh, industry. Well, communication is extremely important because you can be as smart as you want. Uh, but if you don't tell other people about how smart you are, then people think you're dumb. Yeah, that's right. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so communication is really important because people have different skills. And the greatest skill of all is using other people's skills. Well said. So I envision using my communication powers to get different sides of the table talking, not just research, uh, but business business to re- research and I think that's a huge development I think the people some people in business need to have better science backgrounds and I need some people in science to have better business backgrounds we need to ask the scientists to look into themselves and say you know where are the applications of my re- research we need the business people to think about uh, these fundamental problems and have these long term outlooks right do you think that being at the table with a pure mathematician on one end and a pure biologist on the other end has really helped you hone that communication skill? It has, but talking to people outside my field That's a big um, has, has as well because in academia, uh, things often confuse people and it's very common for me to come back from a lecture even though I understood it well to take... Uh, a couple of hours fully digesting that information. In the world outside academia, you need things to be much more easier to digest. digest. And making things easier to digest is better for the academic audience as well. So yes, communicating between uh, pure mathematicians and biologists are useful, but communicating outside of disciplines to a nurse or to someone in accounting is important because we all need to realize how important one step of the machine is to the other. And that's not just a viewpoint of me, but you know, of, a, uh, of ecology. We all have to work together to achieve our larger goals. But how do you sort of see that happening? Because you know, the, the stereotype of the researcher sitting in their tower, pondering you know, with, like, with their fingers on their chin the whole day, um, has been sort of like a trope forever. So how do you sort of see that transitioning happen? Well, I think it's a trope that needs to exist. Right. Uh, simply because 
people need to be specialized in their own fields mm -hmm. in order to be efficient, in order for us to make the best use of our talents and to help the world the best. I just think that lines of communication need to be better. If I have a que question that requires help from a different department, I better know, you know, how to rephrase that. So it doesn't necessarily mean closer integration, but better communication. Right. How do you see people sort of improving their skills on that? Just practice? Pra yes, practice makes perfect. <laughs> nice. That is why you're on our show. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> do you think that um, a lot of people in your field share this interest, or do you are you do you find yourself encouraging other people? I to find myself encouraging other people yeah uh, because people often in, when they're stuck in research you have to put on blindfolds yeah to be more effective but I say you know how does this fit into the larger picture how do we make this more cohesive with the larger body of knowledge so I find that people when they're doing their re research they're very good at the math but they they can't even think about the research implications of their own research. And I say, you got to think bigger. So we are almost uh, out of time, but we just want to ask one more question. So this is a show that is mainly directed towards, um, you know, students at Western and students in general. So what is your one piece of advice for anyone listening out there? Uh, talk to people in other departments. Nice. Okay, good. Good one. So thank you so much, Nicholas, for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. We really appreciated you uh, being here. And thank you to the audience for listening. Uh, I've been Nick. I'm Connor. And you have been listening to GradCast, which is the official podcast of SOGS. And speaking of SOGS, we have a special announcement from SOGS today. Uh, this is an announcement from the Academic Committee. Um, the Western Research Forum has an abstract call-out. So uh, for the 2019 Western Research Forum, which is hosted by the SOGS Academic Committee, they are currently accepting abstracts until January 16th. That is January 16th. So if you want to present your research there, as uh, Nicholas uh, suggested just now, um, you can certainly do that. You can, uh, if you want to do that, you can check out the website, which is sogs.ca slash WRF. That's sogs.ca slash WRF. We are GradCast, and we air every Tuesday at 6 p.m. If you would like to catch us or send us an email or be on the show, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to uh, check out our social media, you can uh, do so on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at gradcastradio. If you'd like to listen to our episodes, you can go to our website, um, which is gradcast.ca. And you can also check us out on anywhere where podcasts are distributed, like Spotify and iTunes. Thanks so much. The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.